Hey, welcome to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and we are going to study Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28 today. With me, I have my friend and fellow preacher, I guess you could say, out of East Oklahoma, Aaron Austin. Aaron, uh, tell us a little something about yourself. Uh, I'm Aaron Austin. I have been minister at the Church of Christ in Crowder, Oklahoma. For over nine and a half years now, and met Josh back in was it 2007. I was working as youth well, minister no. there at uh, Moore, Moore Central, uh, in Moore, Oklahoma. And so, uh, yeah, I'm doing the best I can to uh, preach and help others. Sweet. Uh, he's married to his wife, who bears the same name, Aaron. Uh, so you have Aaron Austin with an A and then Aaron Austin with an E. Uh, mm-hmm. And then what are your daughter's names? We have Clara is 10 and Hazel is 7. Hazel is 7. So, yeah, Aaron and I are good friends. Uh, have some memorable moments at Six Flags that I have to say for another time. But uh, I thoroughly enjoy getting to talk and hang out with Aaron. And so... Excited to have him on the podcast. Like was mentioned earlier, we're doing Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, the faith of the Canaanite woman. <clears throat> Just a brief background before we read it is Jesus is uh, removed himself from Judea. He's in uh, the Tyre Sidon region, uh, which is up on the northern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, he's kind of, I would say he's taking this time to kind of remove himself uh, as a retreat, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, Then he has this uh, encounter with the Canaanite woman. So I'll read it, and then uh, Aaron will will kick us off as far as what we have marked and and the lessons we can learn from it. So as Jesus went away from there and withdrew, to the district of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Aaron, what do you got on verse 21? Um, Like we said, we grab our context here. And I think, like, as you mentioned earlier, you look at the end of chapter 14, uh, they had been up at uh, Gennesaret or, or Capernaum, which is on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. And scribes and Pharisees, once they found out that he was healing in that region, had actually come up from Jerusalem to there uh, to ask him the questions, to try to get him crushed up in his teeth, to try to get him to mess up somehow. And that, that's, uh, you see, the teaching we have there, the first part of 15. And as he has seemingly been completely overwhelmed by that type of thing at this point in his ministry, uh, 
he can't really stay any place uh, for very long without being overwhelmed like that. And here he goes to Tyr and Sidon to get away from all that and kind of get a breather. And I think it's neat that as he comes out here into a place that is uh, historically not Jewish, uh, you know, that's, uh, was supposed to be, you know, a part of uh, Israel. It was uh, Tyre and Sidon or a part of those places that were not uh, conquered by the 12 tribes when they were supposed to drive out the inhabitants of the land. And as a result of that, here we are in the first century, and they're still very, very non-Jewish. And I see him going to that area so that he can get away from everything that he's been dealing with. I think retreat is a fairly accurate word. Well, that's a good point. I have on uh, the heading um, above verse 21 in my Bible, it has the, the heading that, that the ESV put in it, a faith of a Canaan, the faith of a Canaanite woman. I simply put this question, what if the Canaanite woman quit when I quit? Uh, and I think that's a question we could all ask. Maybe our child would have been healed. Maybe not. It depends. And so uh, persistence is definitely a key. I like the fact that you pointed out that he's not in Judea. He's not in a a Jewish territory. He's not in an area that was conquered by Israel when they were conquering the land of Canaan. Uh, And I think that's significant. So uh, because, you know, first off, he's not, for lack of a better term, on his home turf. Uh, So keep that in mind. Then we go to verse 22. And it says, and behold, a Canaanite woman. And so now, not only is he not on his home turf, but now this is a woman who is not his kinsman. Uh, it's a Gentile, not a Jew. And she says, and, and the, she's a woman from that region. So she is, so Jesus, uh, from the setting standpoint, is where she lives among her people. And I say that because. She comes to him crying, saying, have mercy on me, O Lord. And I, some think that that word, O Lord, is just a um, respectful term. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's saying it from the standpoint of uh, the Messiah, which is why Matthew includes this statement, son of David. I think he's trying to stress the Absolutely. fact that it's more than her just being respectful. This is her recognizing him as the promised Messiah of the Jews. Uh, So she called him son of David. And the reason I think that's significant is remember, he's in her land among her people, yet she meets Jesus, at least through her statement. And I think this is the thread that's going to run through the entire uh, passage here. She meets Jesus on his terms, uh, referring to him as the son of David. And how many times, do we hear people talk about we're in this is this is our this country and I'm not trying to get political just using this for an illustrative purpose but if you come to this country among my people then it's our laws you have to obey it's our customs you have to respect does that make sense yet yeah. here she is putting all that aside and referring to Jesus uh, as the Messiah and submitting herself uh, to him uh, only other really note I have is uh the word daughter i circled that and just put a diminutive uh the word diminutive there meaning that 
we don't know how old the daughter was. Uh, a better translation was would be my young, my little daughter. Uh, and the point is, this is a term of affection. Uh, my daughter's mm-hmm. fourteen. My oldest uh, daughter's fourteen. She's not the youngest. I still uh, consider her my baby girl, my baby doll, whatever. Um, so this isn't really necessarily an indication of the age of the daughter as much as it's, uh, this mother's, uh, affection for her. What do you have on 22? Uh, absolutely. And I have a uh, similar notes to what you have and the word Lord is going to keep popping up, um, from her. Every time she addresses him, she uses that word. And, and I agree completely with you. Um, it can be, uh, a sign of simple, uh, common authority but with the expression the son of david from from the first interaction in verse 22 she shows the great faith that jesus speaks of later and her position does not change on that and uh, like you talk about the persistence as, as i look at this passage this is um, a great uh, example uh, of the the persistence that jesus talks about we should have in prayer in luke 18. i mean you see that persistence she's still coming she doesn't slow down and she's had that faith from the first step. She recognizes Jesus uh, for who he is and for what he is. And her position on that never changes. Even with uh, the response that he gives her in verse 23. I'm glad you brought up uh, Luke 18. The, the parable of the persistent widow uh, is how it starts. Uh, I, I numbered the appeals by this woman. Uh, verse 22, I put one. Uh, verse 25, I put two and then verse 27, I put three. She makes three appeals to Jesus, which illustrates her persistence. We'll talk about them when we get there, but I numbered those three, put, uh, labeled them as her, her three appeals. And then I put Luke chapter 18 next to it. Uh, what do you have for 23? Uh, well, 23, uh, it's every time I read this, it still kind of surprises me as Jesus's response is he's not, um, He's not commending her for her faith. He's not, uh, doesn't even acknowledge her. And he, uh, New American Standard said he, he did not answer her a word. And as he just seemingly acts as if she's not even there, and it's actually his disciples that come in, and I think they get the idea of what Jesus is trying to do by removing himself from the situation um, with the scribes and the Pharisees. And now it's like, oh, great, you know, now we're here and he's, he's still being harassed. I mean, it's it's almost like a celebrity paparazzi status at this point. And they're like, hey, you, you want us to uh, you want us to take her away so she's not bothering you so you can get the, that, that rest that you're looking for. But he, he does not even give her a word at first. And it's that uh, it's almost a coldness, but it's not necessarily a coldness. We understand his purpose as he states it in the next verse right um he gives her the typical jewish response i would even go further and say he gives her uh the typical jewish leader response Um, but like you said i think this is this is deliberate i don't think i think jesus has a purpose for not answering i don't think he's ignoring her just to be rude Mm -hmm. Uh, I do think there's a purpose behind it. I do think he is testing her. But I also wonder, um, who who this is ultimately for, if that makes sense. Was it for mm-hmm. her? 
or was it for the disciples? Agreed. What I find interesting in in verse 22, uh, you have the word crying. Uh, That word in the Greek is an intense shouting. And if you notice, she cries out or she's shouting. She's trying to get his attention, and she refers to, O Lord, Son of David. She's talking solely to Jesus. But then you come down to verse 23. It says, uh, the disciples or the apostles respond, send her away for she is crying out after us. Uh, so they include themselves in it. I wonder if their purpose for wanting her to go away is more selfish reasons than, uh, you know, maybe genuine concern for, uh, the word send her away there, uh, as I was reading could go either way, either they're telling her to send, uh, send her away, tell her to leave us alone. She won't listen to us type thing. Or they're asking him, Hey, give her what she wants so that she'll leave us alone. And I think that's yeah. it based on verse 24. Cause he answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yeah. Uh, and I put John four and verse 22, Jesus's conversation, uh, with, uh, um, the Samaritan woman at the well, when he says salvation mm-hmm. is of the Jews. So I think that falls in the same context, but I think he, t- that's why he responds that way. I think he, uh, is, or they, they say, Hey, Christ fulfill her wish. So that she'll leave, she'll leave us alone. And then he answers them. I don't think he's speaking to her. I think he's answering the disciples. I was sent out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, uh, essentially saying why he couldn't or not couldn't, but wouldn't, uh, fulfill this request to his disciples. And I think it's it's these kind of responses that make me think that Jesus is testing this woman. I think he knows her faith from the get-go. Agreed. I think he's testing this woman partially for her, but more so for his apostles. And well, and I'll touch on this as we get into to verse twenty eight. But uh, I think there's more of a lesson here for those who are with him rather than this woman, uh, if that makes sense. Well, so, what do you got? I agree with you on that because the um, standard of the day was that the scribes and the Pharisees uh, and the priests they were the the well-to-do, especially with spiritual matters. To the average person, that's what great great faith looked like. And I think that Jesus uh, lets this situation play out the way that he does because he's going to show them what it actually looks like. And uh, with her persistence, uh, he's, he almost puts the balls, uh, the ball of the situation in the uh, apostles' Uh, hands and says, "I'm only here for the for the Jews. What are you going to do about what are you going to do about this situation?" And yeah. he's exposing them to what that faith is. That's if you have a reference Bible, you probably have Romans 15 and verse eight uh, next to verse 24. If not, I would put that verse next next to that where Paul explains the reason Christ came to the Jews first. And the reason for this type of statement in verse 24 
is not because the Jews as a nation were superior to the Gentiles. The whole purpose of what Paul says in Romans 15 and verse 8 is the only reason that the that Christ came to the Jews and his mission was solely focused was mainly focused on the Jews and that it came to the Jews first and then the Gentiles were later part of the plan was not because of anything the Jews did and not because of their nationality because God chooses a nationality over another but simply because of the promise that he made to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then eventually Judah, and then David. And so you have to, <clears throat> you have to keep that in mind, because as we come into verse 25, or come in to the remainder of this text, it says, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. So here's the second appeal to him. I like the, what is your, ver- uh, you have the New American Standard? Yes, sir. Uh, what does yours in verse 25 say? As Mine says knelt before him. It says that she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Okay. I think it's the King James and American Standard and maybe a couple others uh, that, that you translate that Greek term worship, uh, which mm-hmm. I think is significant. Uh, and again, Absolutely. you see that thread of her faith, her persistent faith running through. And I think this is... Uh, This is a Canaanite woman in her town. Canaanites were historical enemies of the Jews. Yet here she is worshiping him, putting she's putting aside social norms. She's putting aside nationalities. Mm -hmm. Uh, You I would even argue she could possibly be putting aside religious uh, biases and beliefs as far as her own, uh, because we know the Canaanites and so forth were pagan. People, so she could be putting all that aside uh, to kneel before Jesus and and uh, make this appeal. Um, and so, great faith on her part. What do you have on twenty six? Or well, let me let me start with twenty six. And he answered, "It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs." Again, we want to keep this uh, premise that Paul establishes in Romans fifteen verse eight that the only significance. Significant difference between a Jew and a Gentile is the promise that he made of, uh, that started with Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, and went through. Uh, dogs there is, again, another okay. diminutive term. Uh, at the very least, it's a pet. Uh, I would even argue that that this is more of a, a term along the lines of a puppy. Uh, okay. It's not a disrespectful term the way that the Jews would normally use to describe Gentiles. Uh, and it's, it's lost in the English translation from the Greek. Uh, and Jesus is not, again, showing superiority to a nationality. He's simply showing or illustrating a matter of precedence. Uh, and meaning yeah. that the, the priority, the order uh, or the process is Jew first and then the Gentile. So he's not being rude to her. Uh, he's not uh, being demeaning to her. He's not insulting her. He's simply pointing out uh, that the Jews in the plan of God, the Jews come first and then the Gentiles. Same thing would hold true with us. Uh, they didn't have dog food the way we have it today. So more than likely dogs would eat what was left over. Uh, and as any good parent, you want to ensure that your children are fed before you uh, ensure the, the pets are fed. And that's the whole premise around this. There's nothing derogatory in it. 
uh, it's just simply an illustration that shows uh, the Jews first and then the Gentiles. And and like what you're saying, what you said earlier, this is this would be a typical Jewish response to. Um, and as you mentioned, the diminutive, uh, the diminutive, if I can say that word right, uh, with dogs, uh, essentially it would be going from dog to doggy, mm-hmm. um, kind of a term that a child would use, but it, it softens the blow and it, and it makes it less of a insult where if a regular, if a, your average Jew of the time would make the statement, it would be an insult and it would be a bite. Right. But as he, as he softens that blow, he actually comes down to where she is and he's letting her know hey this isn't the insult but yet you know we, we still have to do things a certain way and and like you mentioned um the jew first and then to the gentile and so he's still saying you know this this uh it's not that it's out of propriety at this point but he's still letting her know that there are still um uh, a process that the way that this has to go to the jew first and then to the Gentile, and you being the Canaanite woman, um, this this isn't for you yet. Right. A and, great point. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, and, and once again, I mean, the apostles are watching this, and oh. they're looking at how he interacts with her too, because there's going to be, uh, many times they're going to be in similar situations moving forward after he leaves then they're still going to have to be able to handle that situation with grace. They're going to have to handle that situation with kindness. And I think he's uh, kind of demonstrating how to do that in this point. Hey, great point. Great point. And that was, that's what I, I was just thinking that one, she doesn't take this as an insult. Mm-hmm. Uh, her response uh, lets us know that she received it the way Jesus meant to, to send it. But I'm glad you brought that up, that that this is for the apostles, because I'm reminded uh, of Acts chapter 10 when Mm -hmm. uh, Cornelius sends for Peter. And Peter, um, one, Cornelius and the household bow down to him. And what's Peter's thought? You know, get up. I'm a man just like you are. So you see that equality there. And then they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, Peter essentially says, I'm nobody to keep them from being baptized. And he ushers, and that's when the Gentiles are ushering into the church. I wonder how much of an impact this event had on Peter. And another event uh, found in Matthew chapter 8 with the centurion, mm-hmm. uh, the faithful yeah. centurion. How, how much of the, these interactions that Matthew lays out for us if that was on the mind of Peter when he ushered in uh, the Gentiles in, it's, it's interesting to think. Uh, what do you have on 27? Um, 27, and I'm glad you brought up the centurion because this is going to be the second time that, that Jesus, and I guess technically Jesus' response is in verse 28, that he mentions a great faith, but he doesn't mention it from the source that we would expect it to come from. I think more specifically that the apostles would expect it to come from. Um, the Roman centurion, who is not a believer, that's not going to be the person that you would expect Jesus to say, hey, I haven't seen faith like this in all of, in all of Israel and, or in all of Jerusalem. And so as we look at her response, as Jesus kind of makes a play on word and he softens the blow, she actually follows that metaphor. You see her still addressing him as Lord. And she says, but yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And 
it's acknowledging a couple things here. It's acknowledging the authority that she perceives Jesus to have. Uh, as, as we go back and, and we, we see the different miracles that Jesus performs with so little. I mean, you have the you have the fish, you have the loaves, and while everybody else is looking at the fish and loaves as as not a sufficient amount of food to feed everybody who's there, Jesus performs his miracle, and it was it was enough. And as Jesus uh, mentions the crumbs and talking about giving it to the dogs, what she's essentially saying back to Jesus is, "But if it's a crumb that comes from your table, it's going to be more than enough to sustain what I need." And where most of the time, as you mentioned earlier, uh, they look at uh, the dogs were secondary. Uh, and if you look into that, you see how they, in the first century, they treated dogs. Uh, dogs in the first century did not have uh, near the luxurious life that we give them today. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they, uh, they, a lot of times, if, if anybody went hungry, it was going to be the dog. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that, that's the, the bottom of the totem pole they didn't have all the accommodations that we have in our culture today for them. But she says, but if it's, if the dogs feed on the crumbs, which fall from their master's table. And this also, as she is claiming and she's owning that role because she uses the same diminutive that Jesus gives her. Mm -hmm. She, she embraces that, but she also says uh, they feed on the crumbs, which fall from their master's table, which is yet another way that she is placing Christ as her master. And she's another way that she is placing Christ as as her Savior, as her Lord, as her uh, the spiritual reference uh, that we caught back up um, in verse twenty two. The Son of David, you're the you're my Messiah. If it's a crumb that comes from your table, it's going to be more than sufficient to feed and to give me what I need. Uh, you, whatever's left over, you're, you're able to to cure my daughter. You're able to, to take the demon and uh, have it leave her body. And she acknowledges his authority. And it's just another example of the persistence. And I think Jesus lets this play out because now in verse 28, he's about to say, Hey, this is what great faith looks like. Man, that is a, that is a great point. Um, I didn't do this. I'm going to do this when this is done but I will do it on the screen is circle that, that phrase either master's table or their master's table and draw a line up to verse 25, where it says knelt before him or worshiped him. And cause I think you're exactly right. I think that phrase uh, referring to as their master's table is, is her submitting to the, uh, the, the, the authority that Jesus uh, has naturally as her, as God uh, over her. Uh, I, I think what you're, we're seeing here and, and that's an excellent point, Aaron is you have the creation submitting to the creator. Um, and and that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's excellent. Um, I underline that phrase yet. Even the dogs eat the crumbs. And I've just put this note next to it, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. This statement and her attitude encapsulate the theology that the covenant promise with Abraham was eventually to all families, which, um, as you mentioned, uh, he's given her uh, typical Jewish responses 
but she's not giving him typical Gentile answers. And whether she realized what she was saying here or not, uh, she's making a very, a, a very valid point in the sense that you are a Jewish Messiah, but you are the Messiah for all. You're not here just to save the Jews. You came to the Jews, but you're here to uh, save all, uh, all humanity, Jew and Gentile. And you, you know, look at Paul's writing. He tears down the wall of perdition. There's neither Jew nor Greek, um, and and everything that he put the Book of Romans. Everything is uh, essentially what she is. Uh, conveying here in, in this statement and her response, yet even the dogs. And I like what you, and crumbs is a valid point um, uh, because she is saying, I just need a very, 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 very small portion of your infinite capability to meet my needs. Uh, and I just put Mark six, one through six uh, in that area when he is in, uh, because this is a, a great contrast and I make the point that it is a contrast because it's a great contrast. He's in Nazareth. He's among his kinsmen. He's among his immediate family. Yet in Mark 6, it says that he didn't perform many miracles because of their disbelief. Yet here she is just wanting a crumb. And 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 then and it ties back and then you can if you, your bible's you know set up that way uh you can go into 29 through 30 when it talks about him performing many miracles and i would put mark 6 next to that as well uh and and just illustrating the fact that jesus wanted to help he was rejected by his own yet here are the gentiles who are receiving him openly you see it in um John chapter four, after Jesus uh, speaks with the Samaritan woman, she goes back into town and tells them of the Messiah and the town comes out to hear him speak. Uh, they receive him. He's being tested. Like you mentioned earlier, he's being tested by everybody from a Jewish standpoint. Yet he goes into the Gentiles and there's this great excitement of, of what there is. So, and I, again, I think this just goes straight back to the, if you're an apostle of Jesus and you think you have it all figured out, then an instance like this is making you reevaluate how you're looking at things. Uh, verse 28, then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. <clears throat> I underline that word, O. Uh it's and I just put the the note that it's uh, emotional admiration, uh, and I think this is, I think her response in twenty seven is great. It's one of my favorite instances in the Bible, partly because of the woman's faith, but I enjoy the response by Jesus. And that word "oh" is important because it shows that emotional admiration she has, and when you consider the times that we see Jesus from an emotional standpoint, we see him crying over Jerusalem in Matthew 23. We see him uh, crying at the grave of Lazarus and John 11. We see, we read that in Hebrews that he cried during the garden. I'm reminded of John six uh, when uh, he fed in John five, he fed the, uh, the multitude. And then in John six, uh, when he wouldn't feed them and gives them the bread of life discourse, it says they left him never to follow him again. 
And when he turns to a disciple and say, are you going to leave as well? You can almost see the disappointment. I'm reminded of everything he has to do. Uh, I would say in the upper room, washing the feet of Judas and talking about his betrayal. There's, there's obviously emotional strain there. Uh, Luke's account of Peter denying him uh, after he denies him three times, it says that at Peter, he looked at Peter, him and Peter, uh, and made eye contact. Made eye contact, and and I don't know what that look was, but I'm sure it was disappointment and pity and sympathy and all that. I, I wouldn't want to be looked at uh, like that by Jesus, but here in this instance, by a Gentile woman, you have him. I would say filled with joy emotional admiration in his response and and i i think that's you know i i enjoy this passage for for that reason uh is she shows great faith but you see the joy that when jesus sees her faith or, or you see when jesus sees her faith and her faith is is come to its fullness through this conversation he he has joy and I think that's the same today. I think it's a lesson for us today that, that when our faith is great, we bring joy uh, to him and to the Father and to the Spirit and so forth. And so it uh, ties back to that that question that we asked at the beginning. What if the Canaanite woman quit when I would quit? Would her mm-hmm. daughter have been healed? Would Jesus have had this reaction? Had she stopped if I would have uh, been the one asking? Uh, and so I think this is a great uh I'm really glad you, uh, for those who don't know, Darren actually texted me with this one, uh, and I'm glad he did. What do you have in 28? I have, uh, as, as we look at uh, Jesus admires her faith, and, and keep coming back to it from the apostles, Jesus says this is what faith looks like. And as, as I take this, I mean, I hope that as we do these texts, anytime we do a text, I hope that we find ourselves there in the passage. And for me, um, Jesus is essentially saying you have to, everybody potentially has that faith. Uh, every person that you come in contact with, even if you're in a godless region, supposedly like a tear in Sidon, faith can still be there. And uh, sometimes as ministers, uh, sometimes as, as Christians, just not even ministers, we kind of have this um, demographic, like the, the typical type of person that I would expect to have faith, that I would expect to respond favorably to the message of of, God, of Christ. And we get into patterns. We, we get into habits. And, and sometimes we, we have certain expectations of, if I were to talk to this person, this is how that conversation would go. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste their time. I'm just going to keep on moving. And if it were left up to the apostles, I think that's what they do. You go back to their response in verse 23, man, get her away from us. She, she won't leave us alone. Give her what she wants. Send her away. Just, man, this is awful. And, and to heart to them, what is a source of displeasure? What is a source of annoyance? What is a, however they have her um, valued in verse 23, Jesus tells them in verse 28, this is how you should have valued her all along. And when we go through our lives, the, the I mean, it's the parable of the sower. I mean, you, it's our job to sow the seed. And it, it's it's not for us to determine, no, you don't deserve a chance at the gospel. Uh, no, you're not going to respond favorably to the gospel. So I'm not even going to present you with it. 
But here Jesus says, listen, even here in Tyre, even in Sidon, even with this woman who we're not even supposed to be talking to in the middle of the day, we can still find faith here. And it's a, it's a beautiful example. Faith can come from anywhere. And uh, everywhere it comes from, it should be value. That's great. Great. I underlined, great is your faith, uh, the statement he made to her. And just put the note, she had the faith that the Jews should have had. And I just cross-referenced Matthew chapter 8 and verse 10 in that. Also, uh, in the top margin, uh, which verse 28 falls on the top of the page, so this works out. But I put the Canaanite woman and the centurion uh, in Matthew chapter 8. And they they share characteristics with each other uh, that that brought about because Jesus marveled at the faith of the centurion. Uh, here, it doesn't say he marveled at her faith, but I think it's implied in that statement, oh, woman, great is your faith. Um, but both of them had compassion. Uh, he was, Centurion came to Jesus uh, for his servant. She came for her daughter, for his servant, and then she came for her daughter. Both of them had humility. Uh, the centurion said, You're, uh, you don't need to come to my house. My My roof isn't worthy for you uh to to come here here she like you mentioned earlier she doesn't get offended by his statement in verse 26 she doesn't, she doesn't tell him how it's not fair she doesn't tell him uh how he's wrong and the the philosophy of jew first gentile second is wrong she simply humbles herself and says i just need a crumb from the table of of the almighty uh and then obviously great faith uh throughout uh he told uh, the centurion told jesus that if you simply say it from here he'll be healed i think she's implying that here uh anything, she, anything you can give me is enough right because she doesn't invite him to the house or come here or anything like that it's just please heal her um and this interaction i think is is summed up uh and i just i have this next to uh, what I just said, I have the interaction of the woman. One, she persisted when he was silent. Two, she reasoned when he spoke. And then three, she recognized a miracle. Uh, this miracle is a small portion of his power, uh, which uh, I, I I don't know if I, if I technically grasped exactly what she was thinking until, you know, looked in this a little deeper, but I genuinely believe she just she's telling him I just need just just, yeah of of all you have this is you know um, just a easy thing for you you're right right which is a testament to her faith Um, I always I always underline immediately or instantly in verse twenty eight anytime a miracle's done and and uh, inspired writers tell us that uh, they happen instantly. Uh, I always underline that. I think it always has to be brought up. Uh, there was no, and it was always full too, in the sense that, uh, Absolutely. This, woman, uh this woman, you know, in Mark, I believe it says that she went home and found her daughter sleeping, but the, but it was gone. Uh, which is interesting because the daughter's uh, asleep, which obviously would explain, uh, if you're possessed by a demon, I'm sure that's a taxing thing, physically speaking. Um, but, uh, I think what is noticeable about that is that even though she's sleeping, the mother can tell uh, that the miracle 
took place, uh, which is a testament to the fact that it happened fully and instantly, which, you know, obviously miracles have ceased, 1 Corinthians 13. But even today, those who so, you know, uh, who con people into thinking that they're performing miracles, uh, the reality is, is, is they don't. Uh, there's, a, there's a huge distinction between what they say is happening versus uh, the miracles of Jesus. Um, I also have the levels of faith uh, mentioned here in Matthew. There are three levels of faith uh, mentioned. Matthew 13 and verse 53. Uh, talked about uh, what we talked about in Mark chapter six, that Jesus left. He didn't perform many miracles because they had no faith. Then I have little faith, which is found in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31. Uh, and that's when uh, they're on the sea and Jesus uh, grabs Peter and, and says, oh, ye of little faith. Uh, that's the apostles. So you have, you have, his kinsmen and his family, no faith. You have his apostles, Matthew 14, verse 31. He says, oh, ye of little faith. And then I have the third one, great faith, uh, Matthew 8, and verse 10, and then Matthew 15, verse 28. And I think it's interesting. His, kin, his family has no faith. His most devoted followers have little faith. But Gentiles to whom the Jews look down upon. Uh, are the ones labeled with great faith and and faith that made Jesus marvel. So, uh, what is, do you have anything else? I think it's interesting that, and as we look at that, it's the great faith and the faith that made him marvel are not where wouldn't be the first option if you look at that list. You know, if you look at the the family, the kinsmen, uh, the townspeople, you look at the apostles, and then you look at those who were outside of Jerusalem altogether. You wouldn't expect a great faith to come from outside of Jerusalem. But I like to, as I look at this, and, and this might be speculation, but if it is, uh, I'll definitely concede the point. But I, I doubt that Jesus is the first person that she came to to try to help her daughter uh, be rid of the demon. Uh, you, you know, tears side on, polytheistic, they have their gods. Uh, my, my bet is that she's probably already hit them up. She's probably already gone there. And she knows and she has tested the limits of those gods. And she's still found wanting. And by this time in Jesus' ministry, uh, it's not a secret what he's done. He's, he's performed miracles. He's driven out demons. And she knows that he's capable of doing more than the gods, the typical gods of Tyr and Sidon. And I would even say with the... Uh, Roman centurion, it might be similar to um, Rome, very polytheistic. We, we have all the myths and all that stories of all the, the Roman gods. But in both cases, the centurion and the, the woman here know that Jesus can provide something for them that nobody else can. And that's what drives them. Heal my servant. Heal my daughter. I've been everywhere else. I've got nowhere else to go. You're the only one that can do it. And until we hit that realization that we can't do it on our own, but that we have to have his mercy, we have to have his grace, I don't think we're going to get to that point where we can have a great faith either. That's, that's good thought. I'm reminded of the woman who touched the hem of his garment. And it oh, says, right here. Is that what you're looking at? It says she spent I mean, all the 
Yeah, she went to all the doctors and spent all the money. Um, but then she knew if she could just touch the hem of his garment, everything would be okay. Um, and and so, and that's that's a great point. And again, goes back to the thought: what if the Canaanite woman quit when I would have quit? Uh, would she have accomplished all she? Yeah, I mean, it's humbling for sure, sobering to to kind of think about it, but uh, illustrates. Uh, perfectly the persistence of prayer that we should have uh, as Christians. If you believe in prayer, it should not only be your first uh, source of of relief, uh, but it should be your most, uh, what's the word I want to use, most utilized, um, not source of belief, relief, but it should be your most utilized tool as well. Uh, And so. uh, Constant. That's great, man. You got anything else? No, I think that uh, I think that uh, exhausts my knowledge right there. Man, I, appreciate, I appreciate it. I appreciate the recommendation. I appreciate you coming on and well, thanks for having me. time and all that. And uh, we'll see you around for sure. But uh, <laughs> I've enjoyed it. With that, we'll close out. <laughs>